Cool Jobs Podcast. You're like, where's Saskatoon? Follow Cool Jobs Podcast on Instagram at Cool Jobs Podcast. You know 10 NHL players. The Cool Jobs Podcast is brought to you by Crown Jewel Recruitment. Please tell me there's video. Is there video of this? If there is, we're going to insert some right here on the podcast. Oh, we can do it live. This is the Cool Jobs Podcast with your host, Johnny Jasno. And here we go. Welcome to another edition of the Cool Jobs Podcast. I'm Johnny, and I'm so excited to chat with Angela. We're going to chat with her in just a second. Cool Jobs Podcast brought to you by Mark Curtis at Crown Jewel Recruitment. Looking for a job? Mark and his team have opportunities in several industries and segments. Whether it's finance, sales, engineering, supply chain, or executive, Mark is able to provide the process that identifies top talent and can get you hired. Check out all the details, all the job listings at crownjewelrecruitment.com or search him on LinkedIn. Our guest today, Angela Pirelli. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being on, number one. Um, You are our first international guest. Wow. Well, thank you for having me. (laughs) You are in Los Los Angeles right now? Yes, I am. Okay, so Los Angeles. Angela is a radio coach, also life coach. Um, Basically, you deal with people, shows, stations all over North America. Is that kind of, am I getting that right? Yeah, that's it. Mostly the the on-air people, mostly the morning shows on music um, and mostly on music stations across uh, North America. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Uh, I know you're born and raised San Francisco, so I got a couple of San Francisco questions first. (laughs) First, we have to we we have to mourn the 49ers who lost. <laughs> oh yeah, I know. What's up with that? Uh, uh, a big football fan? No, oh, but okay. I just I root for the I do root for the home team when they get close to the you know close to the Super Bowl. You awesome. Gotta, uh, have you ever Bowl. taken a selfie with the Full House house? I no, I have not. <laughs> I think I would for sure. Um, yeah. How many times have you been to Alcatraz? Uh, once and not until I was about 30. It's right there. I know it's right across. Is the it ferry. expensive to go? Do um, I don't think so. But the audio tour that they have there as a radio person. Also, I had a huge appreciation for the audio, but they have a, uh, do you ever go? Have you been? No, I ne- I've never been to San Fran. I want to go. Oh, you got to go. Yeah. But the, um, they have an audio tour where they interview, you walk through and they interview guards and prisoners and they have sound so that you can hear like the sound of the cafeteria and stuff. So it's very immersive and it's really super cool. Okay. So Alcatraz. I don't know that you need to go more. I don't think you need to go more than once, honestly, okay. but it's really cool to do once for sure. And obviously you've ro- uh, rode in a streetcar. Yeah. Yes. That's a, is that just like, is that like a bus here in Edmonton? Um, no, it's a special thing. Like it's oh, not okay. something I never took it, um, actually to get from one place to another, although you, that's sort of a side benefit, but you, um, uh, you just ride it just cause it's fun, Okay. but you now, don't go at the, um, you can wait, you can walk up like two or three blocks and then you can just hop on. Otherwise you have to, if you start at the beginning, you have to wait in that big long line, uh, but it is kind of like a bus once it gets going where people are getting off and getting on. So that's okay. your tip. Living yeah. in LA now. Yes. Uh, I have had a couple of LA questions fire at me from people. Have you, do you have a lemon tree or an avocado tree in your yard? <laughs> I actually have both. <laughs> no, you don't. I do. Yeah. <laughs> Am I a stereotype or what? <laughs> are they, um, is are fresh avocados amazing? Well, the squirrels like them. So they take oh. half of them, you know, you see like half eaten avocados all over the yard, but um, I don't know. I mean, avocados, I don't know. Some people hate them, but I think they're pretty good. Awesome. Wherever you and, get them. And but how old are your kids the again? The lemons are good. How old are your kids again? 
Oh, they are uh, 17 and 14 now. Oh, okay. So how many times a year do you think on average you go to Disneyland? Um, uh, not, not anymore. The last time we went was when the Star Wars thing opened. Oh, yeah. The, um, Millennial Falcon and everything. And that was a couple of years. It was before. It was probably 2018, maybe. Okay. And I don't know that we're going to go again. <laughs> Those days are, are, are numbered, uh, but it's fun. And, um, you know, when we, when they were really little, our preschool said, since you're local and you can go more than once, just take the littlest ones. Like how old are your twins? Uh, oh, the, the four months, three months. Oh, they're teeny tiny. Yeah, tiny. Well, like when they're three and four yeah, yeah. parents want to take them and drag them around. They're like, just go to main street. <laughs> just literally walk in and walk up and down and they can see the the parade and the band and get an ice cream cone and buy a little Mickey Mouse thing or see and then leave because it's so overwhelming. It's just parents like. What is your doorstep to doorstep time to Disneyland? Uh, depends on the traffic, of course, because it's Los Angeles, but it's about an hour. I would say an hour and a half. Hour oh, okay. 15. So you're not close, close. No, no. Well, okay. I'm in the Valley, which is north of Hollywood. So we're on mm-hmm. the other side. So it's a, yeah, it's a big freeway to get there. Most famous uh, Hollywood star that you've run into? Uh, most that I just run into like at yeah, the grocery store sure. or whatever. Um, let's see. I saw, uh, actually I saw Arnold Schwarzenegger, but that was in San Francisco. Actually, he was there filming a movie here. Oh gosh, you put me on the spot. I should have known. <laughs> I saw Lily Tomlin at Starbucks recently. Cool. And I saw um, Claire from Modern Family at a deli just last week. Get out! And uh, I did see. I went. I went to Beverly Hills once and saw like Glenn Close, Andrew Barrymore, and Tay Diggs all at, at one dinner. And I was like, I can just move to Arizona now. I've I've experienced the LA um, star sighting situation. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Enough about LA. Let's get back to uh, you and your <laughs> journey and how you ended up here today. Let's start in radio. Um, what what drew you, I guess, early on to radio? And like, this is the career I want to be in. How did that all start? Well, it did not start that way at all, honestly. Although I did grow up listening to the radio. I had the radio on when I went to sleep. I had a, a friend who actually also went on to be in the radio business, who we were in grade school together, elementary school. And we'd listen at 9.45, you know, under our desk to the the countdown every day. And so nice. I, I did have an appreciation for pop radio and pop music and, and the morning shows too. Um, and so I went on and I did major in communications um, at UCLA. I okay. went to um, school there. Um, actually, I started pre-med. I was really good at science and math, but um, failed on that pretty early. And, and my mom said to major in the classes that you find the most interesting, even if you don't know that you're going to have a career and that at least you'll show up for class and you'll be more likely to do the homework, which is I would take anything from this. That's a pretty good advice for anybody that's going to call. Yeah. That's great advice. I love it. So I graduated, but I had no idea what I wanted to do. Moved back to San Francisco. And my boyfriend at the time was was temping at a bank. And one of the weekend jocks at, a, at one of the local radio stations, they were talking about me because I was unemployed and just graduated and pretty just lost and whatever. And he goes, oh, she should interview. There's an internship for the morning show at this top 40 station. They're looking for an intern, you know, which is somebody right out of college. And so I applied and there were three of us at all college graduates and you have no work experience. So the guy didn't even know. He's like, I don't know who to hire. And so he went down to the receptionist and said, who should I hire? It was like Angela, Teresa or Lisa or whatever. And he goes, hire Angela. You can call her Angel in the morning. Um, and so that was how I got into radio <laughs> with this uh, Ed, who was the receptionist, who I, will, I, I, I owe my whole career to honestly, um, of just getting me in the door. And it was a three month internship and I stayed for a year and a half. I just, 
uh, thought it was so fun awesome. and just waking up the city and just coming in laughing um, and just brightening people's mornings, you know, people calling and you can hear babies crying and dogs barking and they're just so happy to have this show that was popular at the time. Um, and so were you, or is your role more producer role or were you on air with them? Yeah, I was rare. I was on air a few times, just like, Hey, you know, if something happened, yep. but I was mostly, where's my coffee, you know, um, answering the phones, filling out the prize sheets for the winners yeah, yeah. and all that stuff. So, and coming up with ideas, you know, which I got better at as I started to understand it a little bit better. So how many stations did you bounce around to till you got to star? Well, that's kind of unusual because even in San Francisco, it was like, well, you need to go to a smaller market. Um, right. But I grew up there, right? So it wasn't like I started in a small, I grew, I grew up in San Francisco. And so I didn't really right. want to go to Bakersfield or for, you know these small central California towns. Um, but I did go from that station to another station in San Francisco. And I was there for okay. seven years. And then I came to LA. So that's it to star. So it's only three, wow. three stations total. So did you just work your way up into programming then exactly. um, at these other stations and then made the leap to programming at Star? Yep, exactly. So I started as an okay. intern and then I was just an assistant. You know, it's like, here's another sort of advice. Somebody said, just nobody wants to work harder. So if you're willing to take on something that somebody else doesn't want to do, <laughs> you will make yourself invaluable and indispensable. And so I just kept taking on like the, there was a new music system and the guy who was doing the music didn't want to load in all the songs right into the computer or whatever. Right. So I'm like, well, I'll do that. That sounds interesting. And, um, and so I just kept taking more and more onto my plate. And at a certain point I was working five in the morning until seven o'clock at night. And that was when my roommate was like, okay, time out. You know, you need to talk to your boss. You're, you're falling asleep with your clothes on and the refrigerator door open and you're working too much. And, <laughs> So um, we ended up cutting back, but so made it all the way up to program director in San Francisco and then came down to LA, yeah, to be the assistant program director. And then I moved up to program director a, a year later. And then I was there for, I don't know, seven or eight years. So star 98.7 um, at the time, was it number one at the time when you got there or did you guys have to build lots? And there's two things on this I wanted to talk about, how how you built it, number one, and then number two, kind of who came through the doors, because I think it's a household name that every everybody knows. There's a couple, um, a couple of household names, actually, one for the older half of whoever's watching this and one for maybe just about everybody. But um, it, it was... Um, not number one, it was sort of floun floundering in terms of what it was going to be known for. Okay. And it was at the time, if you remember, in the late 90s, early 2000s of all that cool music. Um, there was the whole Lilith Fair group yeah. of artists like Sarah McLaughlin and Alanis Morissette. Alanis Morissette wasn't quite Lilith Fair, but same time. Um, and then all the fun, like Matchbox 20 and Maroon 5 and Goo Goo Dolls. And all Nickelback. That. Yeah, Nickelback. Yeah, right. And Bare Naked Ladies yep, put in yep. there and... So there was a big, uh, K-Rock is a big alternative station here, um, and KISS FM is a big CHR, so we just sandwiched ourselves between them and played played alternative music that was familiar and, and upbeat and fun, and then the some pop music that was kind of fit in there too. And so we kind of created a, a unique format and then added personalities. We had Danny Bonaducci, who was um, a radio person and had been a child actor on The Partridge Family for those people yes, that remember yes. that show. And um, had been in the news for various scandals over the years and in the inquiry. In fact, he swore that every article about him in the inquiry was true. If you're ever wondering, <laughs> they're all true. Um, and so he was doing mornings. And then we hired Ryan Seacrest, who was coming in 20 years old from Atlanta. Um, he did weekends for us. And then we moved him to nights 
because um, we liked him so much and then afternoons and he was um, destined for bigger things we knew even then he had high visions for himself and he wanted to be what's funny is I remember him saying he wanted to be Dick Clark and he, and he has become Dick Clark right so he is and and Casey Kasem and totally Rick Rick D so he's yeah. really and Regis Philbin like he's <laughs> he's done all three all four of those those legends right he's very talented can you just talk to me a bit about ryan seacrest for a second because i i saw him uh, he quoted saying he knew he was never the most talented guy he knew he never was you know had the best calls or the best this or the best that but he just knew that he could outwork anybody is that is that kind of just what he brought to the station even then i think that's a little bit of a um an undersell, right because he is really talented i just think that people, i think so too i think people don't really respect like that kind of how how good a good host how easy a good host can make things look right right and so one of the things that i remember about him was he knew he wanted to be on tv but he stayed in radio he's still on the radio every day in la right. on the morning show um but he he had been given the advice to go on the radio because it um helps you on tv to be um to manage the challenges of live tv because if you just go into tv and you're used to reading a a teleprompter then if something goes wrong and you don't have the skills to make to to not let them see you sweat and to make it look easy and to be able to be spontaneous and, and i saw those skills really in american idol when things kind of went sideways and he never um so i just think he makes it look easy but i will also say his show was three to seven in the afternoon and he had his show staff there um, his co-host and his producer and an intern, um, and he hired his own personal assistant that what because he wanted somebody to help him and we weren't willing to give him any more. So he he had somebody else coming in, getting him lunch and picking up his dry cleaning and being it taking notes and paid out of his own pocket. Yeah, exactly. Um, and they were there for a three o'clock show at noon. And I don't know. I mean, you've worked in radio, so you know that's really yeah. un- unusual for a show to be full on in work mode at noon three hours before show. I mean, typically they come in and maybe an hour or they do a little work at home and come in, but they were full, you know, really committed. And um, he and his co-host would listen to the show. They would commute home in separate cars, but re-listen to the audio and talk about what worked and what didn't work and what they could have done differently. So he was very active in his own growth. The other thing that was cool about his, we were in Burbank, we were in Burbank and the Jay Leno show was taping right down the street. It was like three blocks away. And so he had a lot of, celebrities and artists that could come through because they were going to be filming Leno at seven or six or whatever time that was. And so they could come in right before. And so he had a lot of, um, a lot of, that's how he started to build those relationships with all those celebrities because they would come through and, and he just made it a really positive experience. He was very well prepared for them. He, he bought his own premium items like stationery and stuff to send thank you notes to every celebrity that came in from him and I think he got that advice from Merv Griffin, who was his mentor, who was a big television producer back in the 60s and 70s, right? And maybe even the 80s. And I don't know. But anyway, just to to really act as if you're already Dick Clark is what I would say about him. But he was already, even though he was 20, 20, 21, 22, he was already yeah. running the show, you know, and had really high standards. Crazy. He had really high standards for his own performance. And maybe he's not as naturally funny as Jimmy Kimmel, who I think is also comes from radio, who's just hilarious right. and very creative, or Jimmy Fallon, who's a little bit more self um, looser, I think. Yeah. Um, but I think 
he, in that case, he does work harder and, and really um, makes up for it in that way. So I guess I can see what he's I, I feel sometimes when I see him on TV, I don't know him personally, you, you know, better than that. Like, he just seems like he's too much. There's too much. Uh, like he's do, doing so many things. The hands are in so many cookie jars. And it's like, Ryan, you, you, you don't need to do all this. You don't yeah. like just pick the things you love and maybe he does love them all. I don't know. I just feel like he's sometimes just, is he tired? I don't know. <laughs> he's got to be tired. Right. And maybe, exactly, I, I, you know, right. especially once he took on the Kelly Ripa show. Right. Cause that, yeah, that just seems to spread him so thin, but I haven't seen him in years. So I don't know how he does it all. I'm sure he's got a huge team. When's the last, when's the last time you talked to him? Oh, it was, um, probably 2004. It was a long time ago. It was before okay, I was before I was oh, actually okay. before Idol even came out because we had stopped working together. So, uh, yeah. Okay, so you're at you're at Star. Um, wasn't number one, but you sandwiched yourself into two in between two major radio stations. Did you guys squeak through and you you make that number one? Leap? Well, I don't want to take. I don't think we never beat them, but we were number one in a demo in with with women. Nice. That that was very lucrative um, for for women twenty five. 44 or whatever and we were the top five billing station in the whole country for that that one year because we had these two big morning show and afternoon show and build i think it was 47 million dollars that year so it was a very successful station even though it was never i i'm not going to say it was number one but it was really popular right. at that time and and we gotta we gotta say that um la is massive competitive for radio there's a station every you turn the tuner like there's a new station, new station, new station, right? So you guys coming through billing that massive number and doing that, like that's that's huge. And it was, I mean, I I I, I would be silly not to say there was an amazing staff of people. We had a general manager that was my boss who was brilliant and really had a vision for the station and and the air talent. And my husband actually was the assistant program director there for a while. That's where we met. And he's oh, cool. he's now the program director of of K Earth, which is number one in LA here now so he's smart in his own right and awesome imaging i mean it was a it was a team effort of just people and we just had a lot of fun there also and we're friends you know all kind of similar in age and, and life group so we spent a lot of time together and just had a lot of fun too so all that's, that's awesome the winning combination um i i have a question and it, it pertains to radio for sure but it can be used in so many other industries and segments um what do you think is harder getting to number one or staying at number one? Mm. Um, I think staying at number one is harder, right? Because you 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 get on the defensive as opposed to on the attack. Right. I think that's more challenging. And I think a lot of people tend to just keep doing what we're doing to try to stay number one. But if you don't keep changing and keep innovating, somebody's going to come along um, at some point. So, and that was one thing that our GM always said, you know, that you, you're going to go like this. And if you don't innovate, I'll do it this way so I'm on the camera. If you don't innovate to keep going up, you're going to eventually go right. down. So he was always challenging us to reinvent and and do new things. I, I think it's more fun, actually, to be on the attack. I mean, I left right. the station for a bit and then came back, and we were down to 16th or something. We were, like, below the classical station, which was K-Mozart. And so I just <laughs> said, for the next ratings period, can we just beat K-Mozart? You know, let's go from 17th to 16th. Yeah, yeah. And then go from 16th to 13th and then right. try to claw our way back up. And so, but when you're at the top, I think you're just, I think fear starts to kick in too. You're less likely to want to try anything because you don't want to mess with the success. And then right. it's not as creative, it's not as creative a time, I think. Yeah. That's it a can great be, point. but it's, that's a great point. But it's, it's harder. 
No, I that definitely, definitely hear that. Um, so how long were you at Star? And then when did you decide to leave and now make this transition into consulting um, and especially consulting for a massive international uh, radio format called Jack FM? Mm. Oh, yeah, I did work with Jack. Well, um, <laughs> I wasn't sure where you were going with that. Yeah, that was yeah. <laughs> that was fun, too, because that was a whole different animal. But um, I think women might be able to relate to this when I had a baby. Um, and I had a, I was a vice president of operations at that time for stars it was a big job, lots of meetings, lots of pressure. And it was after the recession, it was, in, you know, it was so the, it wasn't as easy. And the music um, styles had changed. So the music that had been so popular wasn't quite as popular. So it was a, stre- it was a much stressful job. Then I've got a baby at home who, um, yeah. and we had a help, which was great. But I felt like over the course of this year, this last year that I was not good at home because I wasn't home enough. I didn't have the energy and I wasn't great at work because I felt really torn. And so I felt like I wasn't good anywhere anymore. And um, let alone being a good daughter to my mother and sister and all of that stuff. So I just decided I couldn't do it anymore and um, walked away from it because um, I just couldn't, I, I didn't have it in me to, to yeah. keep up with it. Um, and so I, um, that's when I started working with the consultant with the Jack stations. So that was, that was fun just helping them. I had nine years of music director background between the stations in San Francisco and also when I had come to LA and I was doing the, nice. the, the music scheduling. And so it was really fun for me to get into the Jack format and how the recipe of how to put that music together where it's we play anything or whatever, but it still has a, yeah. a science to it that you don't notice necessarily as a listener, but that it's, it's tricky. And the whole presence, the attitude and t- trying to find that iconoclastic rebellious voice, but that's still topical and, and interesting. Right. So that was fun. I did that for a little bit. When you're a consultant for a station like that, or for, I guess, a brand that's so big and international, do you get calls from all over North America? Like this isn't working here, but it's working over here and this is working here and that's not working there. Like, and how do you respond to that? It's like, whoa, LA is doing great, but this station over here in Florida, not so much. Right. Like, you know what I, I not this is probably true with anybody that works with, say you've got a chain of restaurants or, you know, Best Buy, whatever, like some yeah. stores are doing better than others. And so you're always, and the, and the consultant that we had when I was at Star said, you're always going to have some that are high performers. You're going to have some that are in the middle that are trying to claw their way. And then you're going to have some that just, things just aren't working out for them. And so of course you're going to get people that are struggling and, and trying that maybe don't, don't understand the vision or right. that the audience, they are, it's just, there's something that's not connecting. And so you try to, at least now with morning shows, I try to find what works for each individually and not try to overly cookie cutter it because not only are markets different, but the people that are working there are different. And radio really is all about the people in the building. There's not a lot of technology, you know, there's technology, but really all the ideas and all the stuff is from the people that are there. Yeah. Except for the view. I mean, everything between the songs, right? No, exactly. And, and, and that's a big thing too. I think like any station can play the same songs. Like you can have the same top 20 list that everybody else plays, but it's what happens between, right? And and those personalities yeah. and the and the people who bring the station to life. If they are not great, right? And you have you can give them the cookie cutter, but you can't, you know, make them quite do the same thing, right? Exactly, and also even the mood in the hallway, right? Like if yeah. they're all getting along and they're having fun and they're a good team, like I was describing how ours was for a while, um, then the, then there's some magic that um, comes through the speakers that the listeners don't know, but they just feel somehow yeah no that's a great point that part of it too um so when did this coaching come so you consulted with jack fm and you're like oh 
I can, I like this. I'm going to start coaching talent. Where, where did that come from? Yeah. Right. Well, when I was at um, star, so we had Jamie white, who's now still doing really well in Denver and Danny Bonaducci, they were on in the morning and they were very strong and uh, difficult, both really talented and, uh, and had their differences. And it was a very tough show to manage. And then we had Ryan in the afternoon who had his whole ideas of what he wanted to do. And so I kept hiring him, Randy Lane, who I knew, who was a talent, one of the first talent coaches at the time to come in and help me. And when he came in, somehow they listened to him. <laughs> Sometimes he would say the same thing I did, but because he came in and he was sort of this third party credibility right. and could present it, was less attached to the outcome. Whereas if you're their boss, you want them to do it the way you want, you know, whatever. Um, and I just loved him. I thought he was really cool. And I liked the job. And I kept checking in with him to say, are you ever going to hire a you know, person to help you? And so there, there came a time where he called me and he goes, I've got enough business now. I want to, I'm looking to hire somebody. And so um, that happened in 2006. Cool. So um, yeah. And so I worked with him for um, seven years, I think. And that was good because I brought to him this um, experience that I had from working at the station and all of my history. And then I learned from him some really great tips on how to coach and how to help people in a way that keeps them open and not defensive because that's the biggest challenge, right? And to and to be listening without an agenda and really try to hear things. It's almost like a therapist, yeah. right? Where you're trying I was gonna say, not to, to get out of your own head. And Absolutely. You almost do a therapist's right? job, right? When you talk to these people because they will take offense. Okay. A lot of, especially I morning shows that maybe have a little more ego or whatever, they may take offense to what you have to say, right? Sometimes. I mean, you have to learn how to say it in a way that um, isn't attacking, right? So you can, and you also coach shows differently or anybody, an athlete or a musician or whatever, depending on their level of experience and success. Right. They've got a lot of success and they're doing really well. You're not going to come in and go, why are you? I had a show actually that got a new boss. This is such a great example of what not to do. They were, they were number one, they're, they had just won a big legendary award and they were, um, the research that had just come back was really strong with them. So they were set, the new boss came in and didn't like them for whatever reason, I'm not sure why still, but she said, um, you have potential. <laughs> and they're like, we have potential. What are you? And I don't know that they heard anything she said after that because she, <laughs> she didn't come in with the kind of respect um, and, right. and really kind of trying to learn how they think and how and why they do what they do and then try to jump on a moving train, right? So you have to, it's different with every show, but there are egos and you have to um, learn how to navigate those and not tiptoe. Like you have to be direct. I think everybody appreciates being direct, yeah. but not personal, not attacking, not negative, just, you know, it's, it's tricky. When you get when you get a new station on or a new show that let's say a new morning show pops up in wherever Saskatoon and they want you to to come and and uh, have a look, how much do you look at their boss and how their boss deals with them versus how you're going to deal with them versus like do you take their boss into consideration and GM and everybody else and, and say okay they're they're actually coaching them wrong you need to coach them this way because you're they're taking the wrong things out of it. Like, do you, do you look at that side yeah, of things too? I mean, I'm trying to think of a, this is so minute to what I do. I'm trying to think of a way to sort of universalize the, the yeah. question, but I can't really think of it. But in that situation, um, I get feedback often that. You, you almost feel, you almost feel, I'm saying, I guess I'll re-ask it. Um, 
if you feel they have the wrong leader. Yeah, that's tricky. Right? Yeah, exactly. Right. Because their leader's telling them this thing and you're coming in like, that's probably not right. Yeah. Well, I think what, what okay, here's what you would want to do with any in a situation like this is get that leader off one-on-one or with the, with the management team and get on the same page Yeah, and then go try to coach the show. Because if I'm coming in saying one thing and they're coming in saying another thing, then, then with any job, if you've got two managers or you're being pulled in two different directions, you're going to listen to the one that agrees with you more of the time or the one who's more important. Right. Right. (laughs) So with Ryan and afternoons, I might say, I thought that break went too long the owner of the company would come in and go, Hey, great show today, Ryan. And he, and so who do you think he'd listen to? Right. So, um, so you have to make sure that, and I try to set that up with any team, like let's all be on the same page. And if yeah. we, um, let's talk about the show before we go into the meeting so that we are on the same page. And if, if you disagree, I mean, I really, I work for them. So if they're really high on something, I'll, right. I'll push back and say, what about if we did it this way? Or what about that? But ultimately, uh, it's their station, right? So they get to do what they want. And that's kind of part of life, right? Like letting, knowing when to push, yeah, when to push through on an idea and then when to walk away and, and let it go and not hang on to the resentment of it and just go, okay, I, it's like a ping, somebody described it like a ping pong game where you, um, they hit it to you and you, you don't like the idea. So you hit it back and they, if they hit it back to you and go, no, 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 I want, then you go, okay. Like you might hit it back a few times, but you don't just sort of, you got to let go at some point, yep. right? Yeah. Kind of like probably with your wife or whatever. You know, <laughs> you know pick your battles. You know, pick what are you battle. willing to yeah, I hear you. What hill are you willing to die on? Yeah, what's, no. the, what's the biggest thing that the audience or the customer is going to notice? Yeah, that's, that's a great point. Really move the needle. If it's not going to, if you, if it's not going to make a difference, then why fight about it? You know, there's lots of different ways to be successful. The Cool Jobs Podcast is brought to you by Crown Jewel Recruitment. Hi there. Mark Curtis, Managing Partner, Crown Jewel Recruitment. We're very excited to partner with the Cool Jobs podcast. A little bit about us, we specialize in mid to senior level management positions, all types of industries. We also have entry level all the way through to executive suite. If you'd like to learn more, please check out crownjewelrecruitment.com. Like Cool Jobs podcast on Facebook at Cool Jobs podcast. Have you ever got hired into a job and you get there, you listen and you're just like, they're terrible. Like we got to move on this. We got to move these people. Has has that ever happened yeah. right off the bat? Um, yes, but I I know I I said to somebody once I was so naive. I'm like I wish I could work with the good shows and make them great because that you have more likelihood of helping okay. a good show get to the next level than helping a, people that have no business doing what they're doing to get right. mediocre, right? And then that person said very yes. honestly and truly, like nobody's going to hire you to do that. Companies that want help or hiring you because they've got a problem, not because they've got somebody who's already doing well. <laughs> so I was like, darn it. Right, right. I read, a, I read a quote and it said, hire fast, but fire faster. Yeah. Oh, that's smart. Yeah. And it, and it's like, basically it's like, if you know they're not working, get them out. Yeah. Right. I heard that like, nobody right ever away. gets like, fired well, fast enough. And that's true because nobody likes to fire someone and you give them chances. No, and exactly. And if I were going to be fired, I would want somebody to think about it a while too and not just not be aggressive. Right. But um, I think sometimes it's about trying, you try things first, right? You try different ways or you yeah. cut, put, cut them back or you try to figure out. Um, in fact, Randy, when he came um, to work with a, a different show that we were working with, and I just was like, they're terrible. Everything's terrible. And he's like, well, we can't just say they're, ter- can't meet with somebody and say, you're terrible. 
He's like, listen, and we have to find, <laughs> this is for anybody, any employee. Like you can't just come in and say no, every absolutely. single thing you do um, is terrible. You have to look right, for like, right. is there a sparkle somewhere? Is there something where you hear even potential, like some passion? Yeah. And, and we found that and said, just keep do that. And it was when he was interacting with the traffic person, right? That there was a little bit more levity. It was funnier. It was had more chemistry. And so, so it was like, bring her in a little bit more, right? And so, and the more that you steer them to, and this is another manage, straight management technique is the more you catch them doing something right, everybody is a puppy inside and wants positive feedback and a pat on the head. So if, if all you're doing is finding out what they're doing wrong, they're just going to crawl away and curl up in the corner, right? But if you're saying that, right. that little piece, that was really good, do more of that, then over time, they actually ended up doing really, really well. And so sometimes you can rescue it by finding, making sure that they're doing the things that they're good at and that are working best for the station. And then eventually the other stuff kind of hopefully starts to, to um, drift away. That's the hope. Anyway. That's great advice. That's, hope. That's great advice. It doesn't matter what industry yeah, you're in. That, it's, good totally just... it's good parenting advice. Too, like, <laughs> I got, you're, got three now. Oh my gosh. I was going to say they're only four <sighs> months old. You have some time, but uh, Jackson's yeah, two and a half. So we got a, it's a crazy one around here. Um, <laughs> You've got a house full. <laughs> we do. Um, I want to talk to you about um, radio personalities. Cause I know a lot, obviously you know a lot and I, and I feel mm. a lot of them are introverts and correct me if I'm wrong in that. And that's not wrong, not bad thing at all, but I feel that oh. they're, great in front of the microphone they can put on a huge show four hours it's rocking best music calls everything they go to an event or live on location or anything and she's like put me in the corner and yeah like, and you get nothing yeah exactly do you find that too when you work or with some people there's definitely certain types that are like that okay that, and you would never guess it by how they are on the air exactly they just are really sometimes socially awkward um, because really the radio um, is so private, right? You're in a room by yourself or with a few people that you trust because you're in there, just the two or three of you for four hours every day. There's nobody else in the building and it's a very intimate experience, but they're not used to being in front of people. So it's a way to get out what they want to say without having to be with people. But I would say there are some of those, I would say there's also a group that just talks themselves to death and at 10 o'clock they just want to go home and they, they're done right because it's exhausting there's the adrenaline of it and there's just a lot of talking and so they just are done by the end of that and they don't want to go to an event and talk to 50 listeners right yeah but i think more uh there's another probably bigger percentage i think that are that were the class clown in school okay that were always being told to shut up by their teacher and their parents and just had a lot to say and, and are happy to be on the radio and be able to say it. I'd say I, that's more common, but it is unusual when you meet a radio person and they're so quiet. Like they stand out, I think more, even though there's not quite as many, because you would think that they would be um, like the life of the party and they really right. just want to go home and, and be by themselves. <laughs> um, are some people uncoachable in terms of radio and, or I know you do some life coaching as well. Are some people you, you, you talk and you're just like, I can't like, a, they're not listening to me, and B, they just don't they don't want to listen. Right. Definitely, I think. And we've all come across them, I think, in all walks of life. But I what I finally figured out in both types of coaching is that if there's no self if the, the, the less self-awareness there is, the less likelihood there is. Because if you're not if you're not aware of your own blind spots or you don't want to you don't want to be called out on your blind spots, and we all have them. Um then you're not going to get very far because part of coaching is pointing out to somebody what they don't see in themselves, 
right? Whether it's radio coaching or life coaching. Right. Like, oh, I never thought of it that way. Um, and so if they're not willing to see things that way, if they think they're right um, about everything, then, I mean, the radio, there's definitely radio people that don't want to be coached. They just don't like it, you know? Um, yeah, although yeah. I would say, yeah. honestly, the more often than not, by the end of the first meeting, I've gotten somebody whose arms were crossed and they were leaning back. To My cross, my arms are crossed right now. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, your arms are crossed right now. Well, you're <laughs> they were, okay. there's a, it's a different kind of arm crossing the arms of like, who are you? Yeah, yeah, Why are no, you I hear, here? I, hear I don't know. For you. sure. I don't. Um, and after um, talking, then they realize, oh, okay, she's not just going to change the whole show or she's not going to tell me everything I do sucks or whatever. And so they tend to open up. But um, there are some shows that just are stuck in their ways. And in life coaching, I think some a lot of people, and we've all met these people, are attached to their stories and the excuses and don't want to really change anything. Like we all like want to think, want to change, but not that much. Yeah. You know? Right. <laughs> like, that's why yep. there's all, that's why there's Weight Watchers and Jim, you know, like we, right. we, we, we join we start things and stuff. Cause we don't actually, people really want to, usually it takes something big happening. Like you lose your job or your partner leaves you or your parent gets really sick and then all of a sudden life is too short for the, and then you, there's a brief window that's open that, that new ways of thinking can sneak in. And same with radio. Like if, if there's a, a down ratings book, like a station a show has been number one for a long time. And then that's, then all of a sudden they're like, okay, maybe I'd be open to hearing some feedback right, right now. So you right. got to jump in, you know, it's all, sometimes it's all about timing. Or if they just had a great ratings book, that's not the time that you rip apart the show, right? You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even yeah. if it has problems, you 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 change your pace a little bit and and look for those open windows. What what percentage is your radio coaching versus your life coaching? I would say most of it is um, radio coaching now. But what 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 they don't know is that a lot some of what I'm doing. I mean, I have 25 more plus years of radio experience, so a lot of what I'm coaching right. is radio. Um, best practices and all of that stuff, but I sneak in the life coaching and they don't know it. So I actually <laughs> got the life coaching, um, uh, went through the program because I was considering leaving radio. And then I realized that it just made the radio coaching so much more interesting because there was so much, and about any kind of coaching, I think with an athlete or an artist or a musician, or whatever, yeah, yeah, that you can coach the the hockey certain, you know, the shot or, or the, the vocal thing, but if they're feeling um, insecure or their bl- yep. creative blocks or fear of failure, all of that is going to impact their performance. Um, and so if you can do the whole package, then it's just so much more interesting. So I, the other thing about life coaching that's different than therapy is that it's a lot faster. So with therapy, you can start with, Oh, my mother didn't whatever hug me enough or, yeah. <laughs> you know, or, or something. And then you've got years of working through your feelings about your mom. And whereas this is not, this is taking people from um, surviving to thriving, right? So life coaching is really, you're not, you, you really do need to go to a therapist if you've got past traumas to work through or whatever. But this is just right. like, I really want to write a book. Why aren't I writing it? Like, oh, okay, let's try. And then like three, three calls later, their, their book is done. You know, like, so it's a faster, um, turnaround to what I found in the the people that I've coached, which I did a lot, especially when I was going through the program to practice, you know? So yeah, yeah, um, it's a lot more short. I find life coaching to be short term. So I think if somebody's like, Oh, a life coach, that's interesting. I want to try that. The 
all of the people that I know that went through the program have incorporated the skills that we learned into some form of what they're already doing. Like maybe you're working in HR in your company and helping yep. um, team conflict, you know, or whatever, but not right. the, I think the life coaching itself as a, as a sustainable career is challenging. Cause I think you have to keep finding new people, you know, or do a real program, you know, which I didn't, I wasn't really is, interested. Is a big part of your job. And I'm, I'm only basing this on what I have done in management, which is not very much at all, but learning how other people learn. And, yeah. and um, that must be crazy for you. Cause I don't even know how, how many stations are you working with or shows people? Um, I'd say it's about 20. Roughly. Yeah. Which is. Okay. Cool, 20. Yeah. So that's you. You have a lot on the go. You're listening yeah. to a lot. And you have to remember how every person learns and takes criticism and all that, because I find once you understand that, how that person you're dealing with, the world opens up. Like it's a big thing. But for me, I always came in, I don't want to say hot, but I probably did come in hot and this is what we want to do. And this is, I can see the vision. I want you to get there. Why aren't you guys getting there? Right. And then I'm like, why aren't they getting there? Oh, because I'm not talking in their language. So you have to talk in 20 different languages to 20 different shows. Right. Whoa. How do you do that? Man, that's crazy. <laughs> well, when you put it that way, it sounds a lot, sounds like a, a lot harder. I think um, a lot of it is just really asking directly. Like if you ask people at the up front, how do you like to be, co how, how do you like to be coached? Do you like, you know, some, okay, people, yeah, yeah. some people will say, just give it to me straight. Just be honest. Tell me all the best. Uh, like, I want to get better. I want to get better fast. And then other people are like, focus on the positives and then give me one or two work points you know, or, and then another question that, um, uh, that sometimes I ask, or I ask, especially as a program director, or as a, when you're working in a company is how important is it for you and I to be friends? Because those people, then you want to stop, make sure that you're like, how was your weekend? How's your cat? Is he better? You know, before right. you launch it, but then other, what I noticed with my staff was all of the women on the staff. It was really important that we were friends and that the guys, not as much, it wasn't like, not at all, but just, that's not why we're here. Right. Like, but yeah, so sometimes yeah. understanding, and if you've got women on your staff, it's possible that they expect a little bit more commitment to, could you just check in and ask me how I am first before you start coming in hot, right? So there are some people that I'll make sure that I follow up after two days later and go, hey, how was your uncle? Did he survive the surgery? You know, and whereas yeah. other people don't care if I do that, but there are some that I know that's important. So I think it also just comes naturally to me to be empathetic yeah. and to be emotionally intelligent. I think that's what probably drew me to the job to begin with. So it's not that hard. Well, I think it's hard. You're, you're, you're such an easy person to talk to. Even before we started recording today, you're asking me, um, we're talking about radio and like, oh, right away, you're like, do, do you miss it? And I was like, oh. yeah, actually I do miss it. And, and we just started talking about it. And I was like, you're coaching me right now. And I, <laughs> <laughs> I hey, how'd you do that? Right? Um, well, it's really about it's asking a lot of questions, right? And right, even on the, right. I, told, I saw this quote, which I thought was great, which is people will talk to you for the more that you talk, wait, wait, talk to somebody about themselves and they'll talk to you for hours. So this is a little bit different because you're asking me about myself, but I'll talk to you for hours because you're, I, I'm interested. It's fun for me to talk about this, but right. if you're trying to open somebody else up, you do it by asking them about themselves. Right. And I think a lot of people make the mistake of, I'm a funny storyteller. I'm going to entertain everybody by, by telling my great stories and really what people want is just sit down and and see them you know everybody all of us especially in this pandemic just are want to be seen right yeah 
Yep. I don't want to connect. Hundred percent. I have to recommend um, how to influence, how to make friends and influence people for anybody. I just read it last year. Finally, it was written in the thirties, <laughs> but um, it's an amazing um, book, and it helps managers, and it helps performers, and anybody who's in any kind of and work. I think. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's very dated. <laughs> in terms of what's what's the title what's the title one more time um how to win friends and influence people and i avoided it for years because i thought it sounded manipulative and and yeah. um conniving sort of but there's just so many great takeaways in there but some of it is about listening and that's a I, that was always a quote in radio i thought are you listening to the caller or getting prepared to speak and and once i heard that it's like man that's a big game changer. Are you actually listening to that person, their story, whatever they're talking about, their cat on the roof, the firefighter had to come, yada, yada. Or are you just waiting for the punchline to, to happen, right? Right. You've got your next line. You can't wait for them to stop talking so you can say it. Yeah. Right? I think um, listeners pick up on that too. Yeah. If you're, you know, and, and that's a, what I love about that skill is that it's something you can practice. When I hear that somebody's not a good listener, it's like, practice it off the air first because on the air will be the hardest because you're performing. But go around the office and just practice listening, you know, and, and not feeling like you have to say something funny, especially people that are naturally funny. You know, their instinct is just to try to be funny, right? Because that's how they get their, not adrenaline, but their yeah, yeah. reward, right. right, is to make yeah. somebody laugh. So. Um, what is your thoughts on uh, radio today in terms of all these shows simulcasting, uh, multi-station, same person all over the place, not being local. Is that tough for radio right mm -hmm. now? Or do people just want to be entertained? They don't care where their radio comes from. Um, but I think both are true. You know, like I think um, from the national and the simulcast, people being on more, I go back to um, you know, Jimmy Kimmel or Jimmy Fallon, those guys, yeah. they're, we could have a different late night show in every market that's local. And maybe, you know, I think the biggest harm in not having those is not finding the next generation of entertainers, you know, so you, good point. You know, so you yep. don't have the training ground, but I think people just want to be, people want to be entertained. So it's really more about compelling personalities that know how to connect with their audience, whether they're on one station or five stations or across the country or across the world. I mean, look at Joe Rogan, about 60 million listeners to that podcast yeah. or, you know, yeah. he's not local. I don't know. You know, I mean, he might be local. I don't think he's in LA. He's probably on the East coast. I don't even know, but um, you know, I think the bigger challenge for radio is really, and it's not thankfully not really what I focus on is that the way that people consume music these days has changed so much. That, that was my B question to that is yeah. what is the state of radio in your mind? Cause yeah, you, you have the Spotify's and everything else of the world is, is radio slowly diving. Cause people say it is, but I, then I go around and everybody still listens uh, around here. So I don't know. Yeah. Oh, well, maybe you're in a radio. I, I, and it depends on the age group too. Cause I think right. the, um, a, uh, I don't know, 35 plus maybe still consider radio a pre pre integral part of their life, but under, you know, and I've got kids that are teenagers, you know, they're, they don't listen to the radio. They get their music from YouTube and Spotify and TikTok and, and um, turn on the radio and, and it, I remember listening to the radio in hopes that I could hear my favorite song. It, right. If I hadn't gotten the chance to get down to the record store to get my own, you know, copy of it. And so now they just, you know, they hear a song they like a new Harry Styles comes out or whatever, and they just listen to it 
500 times all weekend. They're already sick of it by Monday, right? Whereas we used to, so it's different. And so I think yep. radio is trying to figure that out right now, you know, and, and um, I think the personalities do take a higher, um, have a higher focus, which is good for what I do because the personalities in between the songs are what differentiates radio from because everybody can play that harry styles track right exactly the other thing i heard that i liked was people listen to spotify and to podcasts and stuff to to step away from the world and to not to to not to check out necessarily but just to 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 check into something else but people turn to the radio to tune into the world like so you know when you turn on the radio you kind of you want to hear what's happening in that moment because everybody that listens to the radio knows it's live it's in the moment you know, they're saying what time it is, what the weather is going to be that day. And if it's local, what's happening in town, if the, yeah, you know, the Oilers are playing or the concert is coming to, you know, here in LA, the Super Bowl is here next week. So it's a big buzz around town that that's here. Everybody's excited about that. And the Rams are playing, which is LA team. So it's a, you know, it's a, yeah. So yeah. I think people will turn on the radio to kind of hear what's going on. And so that, can't be, repl- you know, that's something that is unique to radio and I think gives uh, us an edge. Um, it helps that people are back in their cars because most people do listen in their cars. And so during the pandemic, right. when everybody was home, it was like I had a mom friend who listened to a show here in LA, loved it, listened every day, taking her kids to school, was home for 14 months, got back in her car to drop off the kids. And she's like, I wonder if, if those guys are still on the radio. Hadn't thought about them for 14 months just not part of her day, right? right? When she'd yeah. like, get in the yeah. car, turn them on, get out of the car, turn them off, you know, never even occurred to her to listen to them at home, you know, because she's doing different wow. things at home, right? You're making breakfast yeah. or you're, you just have a different routine. So I think right now the routine for people listening to the radio is really in the car. And so the more traffic there is, the better off we are. <laughs> That's yeah. You know, the longer you're in hundred percent, hundred percent. And like, People I, I've talked to, I only listen to satellite. I don't listen to the, like, satellite can only, I think satellites almost reached its max. I don't know. Maybe that's just my opinion. Like, they've been around for a while. They would have made a bigger impact by now, I think. Right? Yeah. I don't and, think satellite is the main competition. I think it's, you know, it's Spotify having yeah. on-demand yeah. Um, on demand music. That's yeah. really the and, and going back to what you said earlier about uh, new music, um, I read an article before we started here today, and it said the number one under twenty new music source is YouTube. That's where mm-hmm. under twenty year olds get new music. By it was tenfold by far. It was YouTube, and I was like, YouTube. That's where they're going for yeah. music. Like I know, right? I would that's never. That's interesting to me. I know, right? I would doesn't even cross my mind to go there to discover music. Right. right? If I. I know that if I hear a song, if I want to hear a song, I can go there and hear it. But I know times are changing oh. all over the place. You know, it's it's uh, it speaks to what you asked earlier about being number one. You know, radio was a dominant medium for a long time. And right. Is probably used to thinking a certain way about how their business runs. But now there's all these other up and comers, you know. And so how nimble yep. is radio being in trying new things? And it's harder when you've got a bigger machine, you know, so. I, one more. I know we have to go and you, you have another call here right away, but before we wrap up, uh, I, this 50 minutes flew by. Um, your thoughts on... You're a radio nerd like I am. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else cares about any of this. But... Yeah, oh yeah. I, there's lots of great information here for, and you can take it to any sector, totally. Um, awesome. I just, what are your thoughts on being active? And this is another one. So a radio personality being active on social almost to the point of more so than being 
on the radio because they only have 30 seconds to talk or a minute to talk, but you can talk for a long time on social. You can post a lot of pictures. Yeah. How important is that today? I think it is important. And number two, if somebody doesn't want to buy into that, an older show or, or, or an older company is like, ah, we just can't do that. Like it's pretty necessary. Is it not? I don't know. I don't, you may have a different experience, but I don't, I haven't come across any company that's saying, don't worry about social media. I think all the companies want all their personalities on as many platforms as possible and podcasting and, and Instagram lives and stories and tweets and everything. Right. So I think, um, so I don't know that I've come across anybody that said, don't, don't do that. I have come across shows that don't want to do it or don't know. It's almost like it's English. Then then what? Here's what I think of uh, people born, I don't know, before 90, five or what didn't grow up with technology is like it's like english as a second language it's like we're immigrants trying to learn all this new stuff and it's hard right brain, like the kids that grew up with the technology can adapt faster to all the new technology whereas now i just read a study actually that said that the speed of change is faster than the human's brain's ability to adapt to it and i think that might it might be generational i mean it may be not true with 20 with five to 20 year olds, but you know, maybe old. Right. Um, And so I think there are shows that just don't get it. Like I don't, I I didn't grow. It's not intuitive to me. I don't do it in my spare time. I'm not on Instagram. I don't care. I have a, I So how do you deal with them? Because they have to be on it. Do they not? Like I I even know a business um, that I'm just starting to deal with. Like we don't do social. It's like, you don't do social. Right. How do you, how do you not get on? Right. What? I think typically people hire somebody young to yeah. do it for them. And sometimes it works. And sometimes it like, I don't think you can, I don't think you can get somebody you can, I've seen people try to be, it's kind of like an older, not an old person, older person using the slang of the kids. And it just sounds dumb coming from them. Like my daughter right. teases me about that all the time. Like mom, never say that again. <laughs> trying to be cool, you know? Um, and so I think sometimes if, if you try to get them to do something, it might just look weird. So you have to figure out a way that works for them too, right. that gets them on socials, but in a way that puts them in the best light and not just have that older show show doesn't want to be on Instagram or TikTok. Like, Kate, can we do a Facebook post? Yeah. And everybody's still on Facebook, right? <laughs> so if depending on the brand, if the brand is um, depending on who the target is of the brand, right? Right, but I right. think for any show or an, anybody that has something to say that socials is a great way if you're limited in your work of how much you can do as long as yep. it's in line and appropriate for your for the brand that you work for that whatever you do on your own time on your socials that helps build your following. I mean, a lot of radio stations now are looking at how many followers somebody has to hire them because they're bringing all of those people potentially right. to the station, right? So it's almost... It's both ways now. It's yeah. you're here and we want you to go out to all our people. And then also how many people do you have that you're bringing with you that can then listen to our station? So it's a great point. It's evolving, right? It changes all the time. It's crazy. Wow. But that's what I like uh, about it. That's what I like about morning radio. Every day it's different. One day it's a tragedy. <laughs> next day it's yeah. a pop culture story. Like, oh, Prince Harry, whatever. The next yeah. day it's um, a feel good day and or a pandemic for a year and a half. And, you know, it's yeah. just. Um, it's, it keeps me thinking and creating and in the zone. So I, I love it. Awesome. Um, any, any final thoughts before we wrap up here? I you just, you, you're such 
an easy person to talk to and you always have just such great things to say. And that's why I had to have you on the cool jobs podcast. Oh, well, thanks for having me. I, um, I'm, uh, I don't know. I guess I would just say, listen to the radio, everybody, you know, don't, don't give up on it. And, um, uh, if you want to be on the radio, don't, you know, they're looking for people because <laughs> you know, who's the, who's the next star, right? It's people don't necessarily think of radio anymore, but it's a really fun, career to be in still. It's not quite as vibrant as it used to be, not as many bodies in the building, but it's still fun and creative and um, and looking for young people, looking for young people to do socials, looking for young people to have a young perspective. So I don't know, I'll leave you with that. Thank you so much, Johnny. Thanks for having me. Hey, no problem. Cool yeah. Jobs Podcast brought to you by Mark Curtis at Crown Jewel Recruitment with over 200 people hired. Mark Curtis at Crown Jewel Recruitment will find the right person for you. Contact him today, 780-984-8800 or email mark at crownjewelrecruitment.com. Angela, thank you so much. Thank you. The Cool Jobs Podcast is brought to you by Crown Jewel Recruitment. Have a cool job or know someone that does? Let us know. Email Johnny at CoolJobsPodcast.com. You got me fiending for that first high. But the feeling's not the same. You got me stealing, killing, I die. Just to feel you. Thank you.